Welcome to Fraggle Shrugged, the podcast where we read Atlas Shrugged, the classic libertarian mystery novel from 1957 by Ayn Rand. And watch episodes of Fraggle Rock, a Jim Henson Muppet TV show from the 80s. And why do we do this, you ask? Hmm. Well, of course, to discover all the deep hidden connections between the two that we are absolutely convinced are there. My name is Henrik. Joining me as always is my co-host Sigfall. Hello. Welcome to the show. Hello. We're back. Yeah. After a bit of a pause. Yeah, we are recording these episodes a bit in advance, and uh, this time it's been uh, quite a while. It was a hard time to swallow this in audiobook form, three hour long. Yeah, boo-hoo for you. <laughs> I mean, uh, you are going to hear about this on air. You, uh, you're not getting off the hook because oh, it's fair. you have cancelled uh, like uh, two or three times. And finally, we are we're doing this because I've spent almost a month... <laughs> reading and rereading this chapter in preparation for this uh, recording and uh, I have been notoriously flaky over this uh, this couple of last weeks I have yeah. been real busy so uh, but sure, I've, been, I've been listening to say that um, I've been <laughs> I, I'm just I'm looking forward to uh, to not thinking about this chapter anymore uh, same for me even though I was I was hearing it yesterday and it felt like a month, right? <laughs> it, it felt like an entire month to just listen to it. It felt like I fell into some sort of time vortex and just got absorbed into this three-hour bullshit. Yeah, we should address this chapter is 50 pages and three hours in audiobook form. So it's a, it's a big one. It's a bit much to swallow. Yeah, but a little something happens, which... It's it's okay. I think this the the soap opera elements of Atlas Shrugged are slowly like ramping up, and I kind of appreciate that at least. We get a plot point this time around, which I appreciate, even though plot is a what is it a, a contrivance in modern literature? Yeah, who needs plot, right? Well, speaking of plot, let's get into it. <laughs> let's get into it. Uh, we start with Atlas Shrugged as always. Yes. Um, this chapter is chapter seven called The Exploiters and the Exploited. Which really sounds like a sleazy porno or a documentary about uh, illegal prostitution. Everything in this book so far has been like... You've been able to compare it to a porn yeah. so many times. So uh, so what happened? Yeah, the, the, the tag transcontinental is in bad shape. And it needs a bit of a, it needs a bit, bit of a rework. And um, how do you rework a transcontinental railroad in this universe? Well, of course, you do that with moist, moist metal. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is basically just uh, Daphne fighting, fighting and fighting oppressors in her mind <laughs> to get this railroad going. Yeah, should we just, uh, in case people have lost the plot out there, because I almost had, and I've read this mm -hmm these 200 pages twice so if anyone should know this i i should oh you should so just to quickly draw up the lines here um Tiger transcontinental has this railroad in colorado it's in bad shape and uh colorado is booming everything is happening in colorado and apparently that state is amazing and suddenly uh, because of a, a new law Tiger Transcontinental has monopoly on rail transportation in this state, but the tracks are just 
awful trains derail all the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, so Dagny is rebuilding with Reardon's moist metal. Exactly. And this is where we get into this chapter. So the problem is apparently there's a lot of public opinion against this moist metal. And why do you ask? Mm, because a lot of scientists have been talking about how it is actually prone to potentially breaking on a molecular level. Uh, so that could be what? potentially problematic. Baseless argument. But no, okay. no. How do um, how do Dagny go uh, go about with this argument? She believes in the metal. So uh, even though she <laughs> she is not one of the leading scientists, no, 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 no. She believes in the metal. So of course, well, come on. She studied engineering in college. When she sees things, exactly. she sees them. So against basically common. Like common belief in in society, mm. she uh, common sense, you might say. Common sense, exactly. <laughs> she uh, she decides to go through with this project, whatever it takes. And of course, the the state legislators, the evil evil people at the state, <laughs> tries to stop her uh, by going out and issuing some sort of warrant or semi warrant against this sort of metal. Oh, not even uh, the state. The uh, the premier scientific institution, oh, the yeah. premier research institution in the country, issues a statement saying, ah, this hasn't really been tested, so we don't know. It, it, it seems to work to begin with, but we don't know if it will last. And actually, like a surprisingly somber statement. Yeah. Like, like the way they word it is actually like, it might work, it might be revolutionary, but we cannot tell because the science is not in yet. So we have to not like... Yeah use this a lot before we actually get further testing. And of course, Daphne gets furious and visits a professor in charge of this entire institute and just tries to, like, deframe him, basically, for... Yeah, I mean... For slander. I mean, I mean, it's, it's so incredible. Uh, I wrote in my notes that this statement really sounded like some, some actual science. It was the most credible and believable thing in the entire book. It's something that would be in a scientific paper. Exactly. A completely serious actual science. Everybody treats it like it's the most evil, horrendous, awful thing ever. And disgusting, it's called, by a real scientist. But no, no, no. Dagny knows uh, real science. So I slowly started to realize that this has... Uh, I, I was... Side note, I was watching a very popular uh, Flat Earth documentary on Netflix. <laughs> of course you were. And this... <laughs> It's wonderful. Everyone should watch it. Behind the curve. Was it, was it for or against the theory? No, it's actually, um, it does a wonderful thing of talking about the entire situation, um, but talking with people within the flat earth uh, community and try to like, basically try to see what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it goes into like both sides of the argument. It's, it's an interesting character study in people who believe the earth are flat. Um, like you. Exactly. Of course I do that. Like, who wouldn't believe that? The Earth is, of course, of course, flat. Do you say the Earth is a globe? Are you just a globe? Are you a glober? I mean, we all know the Earth is flat. What most people don't know is that the moon is a square. Oh, controversial. But <laughs> actually, a lot of these character studies reminded me of Daphne. Like, she, she is like, <laughs> like a stereotypical post-factual like believer because she just refuses to believe that there can be anything wrong with this metal she just like in that sense i guess this book is realistic it is despite itself even like ahead of its time you could call oh, it visionary uh, mystery novel 
But of course, what Dagny, Dagny <laughs> does, what Dagny does best, so she basically, as far as I could discern, she basically creates her own company to take over this railroad, this stretch of railroad that she wants to rebuild. Yeah. So, so what happens is that she uh, she becomes an active protagonist for once and uh, and uh, moves the plot along. So, uh, because everybody is hating on Riordan Metal, this affects Taggart Transcontinental, her beloved uh, family company. So she uh, makes uh, the decision to start her own company, build the railroad of Riordan Metal through that, and then hand it back to Taggart Transcontinental when she's done. And meanwhile, she's uh, installing a uh, sad boy, Eddie Willis, <laughs> as her puppet while she still <laughs> runs Tiger Transcontinental. Yes. Um, and her brother actually actually talks about this. Like, uh, are you just instating him as basically a faux president that, 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 that you can control as a marionette? And she's like, nah, no, no, no. It's, uh, he's, I, I really believe in this guy. But <laughs> she definitely is. But uh, just on this point, I would like to ask. So... Eddie is essentially Dagny's pet dog, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. He's like like, like her, her puppy dog. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would like just to highlight this quote. Uh -huh. Quiet, Eddie, she said. Quiet, don't be afraid. <laughs> Which is what you would say to a dog in a thunderstorm. Because <laughs> she, actually, she actually speaks to him as a dog. I haven't thought about it. It's a very fitting metaphor for their relationship. Yeah. Um, so what does she call this new uh, train line? Take a guess, good listener. Of course, it's called the John Gold Line. Of course. Because not only is Dagny an idiot, she's also an edgelord, apparently. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> out of her, her possible names, this is the most passable one. Because we get a whole list of possible other names, uh, like the Dagny Taggart Line, the Miss Nobody, the Madam X, Mr. Nemo, Mr. Zero. She is terrible at naming things. I would say Madam X is the closest thing to something uh, usable. Yeah. Why would she call it Mr. Nemo? <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> she, I mean, if she ever got a real dog, she would call it Mr. Dog. That is uh, her level of creativity. But, uh, but I think that goes, that goes back to Ayn Rand and her like, yeah, level of creativity and ingenuity when it comes to like, finding names for stuff. Oh, she's usually really good at that. Yeah, she's really good at looking... Wesley Mouch. Looking in a dictionary, in fact. Bellevue Bank. Bellevue Bank. Orrin Boyle. Her names are all grotesquely disgusting. So um, so she, she's actually now in charge of Taggart Transcontinental in this way where she basically makes what would be seen as like an illegal withdrawing from the company and take putting assets into another company. I'm not sure how this could be legal. I mean, no, no, none of the heroes respect any of laws or regulations or, or principles of common decency or anything. And especially not the dog-eat-dog -dog legislation. No. The terrible, terrible. God damn it, the attempt to help other people is disgusting and foul. Um, so this is yeah, basically the end of the chapter. Um... Oh, yeah. Or is it? I mean, so much happens and yeah. doesn't happen. Uh, for instance, we get a long scene where she 
literally begs uh, Francisco de Anconio oh, fuck, I forgot that. to invest in her company because she just can't get anybody to invest. She's down eight millions and it's all going to shit and she's just begging him for a shred of humanity. And he doesn't give her anything. And then in the next scene, she just has the money from several investors. <laughs> exactly, because everyone uh, all of a sudden believes her. And it, it's written almost, uh, I was hearing this in the audiobook format, of course, but it was written almost as a montage, wasn't it? Like having a montage of like money pouring yeah. in. And you could almost hear the montage music while it was like yeah. <laughs> listing people just believing in her like... <laughs> Maybe, maybe what she did is she just did a Twitch stream and money just came pouring in. Yes. That would be the modern day equivalent of it, at least. She would be amazing on Twitch. Good. It was just really weird pacing because in the one scene, she's got no money and the next one is, is oh, it's handled. We, we fixed it between the scenes. It's, yeah, it's no problem. There's seven million down in the pocket. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I got it. It's like someone cut out a chapter in the middle of a chapter. But doesn't Hank, Hank also just hands her a million right yeah he hands her a million because everybody at this point in the story in this scene everybody wants to invest this is no longer the previous scene where nobody wanted to invest because so <laughs> so let me get this right the state uh, institute tried to slander mm. the metal and then everything goes to shit like her brother goes into hiding the company is in danger of just failing upon itself to the point where they have to like do another company and she has a, yeah but then all of a sudden people are just willing to but is this are we supposed to think this is because of Daphne? so they believe in her more than they believe in the metal and the project itself mm. is, is that what i'm supposed to gain from this because it does not make any sense this radical shift in tone is just very inappropriate I mean, this chapter just has a really annoying pacing because several times it does that uh, does that trick where everything is going so well and then it goes bad. Like the the moment, oh, nothing can go wrong now. Oh, everything went wrong now. You you can do that once in a while. You can't do it twice or three times in one chapter, but it's, Damn it, Rand does it several times. She breaks every single rule in the book to create this book. I mean, so first, Dagny's on track building her, her moist railroad mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and everything is going well and it's all good. And then that uh, statement from the State Science Institute, whatever, drops and then everything is bad. And then she, uh, she struggles around with her badness and then f thinks of an idea. And it's back on track. And uh, then we get Hank Reardon at the end of the chapter, who's at the end thinking, oh, everything is going so well. We are getting the, the rails done for the railroad in Colorado, and we're working on it. And then some weird piece of legislation happens. The Equalization of Opportunity Bill. And we got the exact same structure just twice. Yes, but I didn't get what, what, what did that contain. Did we get this in this chapter? I wasn't really sure. They didn't tell us, but Hank Reardon was very upset about it. So I'm, I'm convinced that it uh, probably makes it illegal to uh, kick puppies or something. But also, I think, I think this chapter highlight, because we're a good deal into the book now. Like, How far along are we? Do you have the ruler ready to, to measure? 20%. Um, yes, so I think probably a centimeter, I think. Yes, because we're <laughs> this far into the book now, and I'm about ready to know some of the setup. 
like we had we had this long setup of who is John Gold. Mm. I am about ready to find out who the fuck John Gold is. Like you can't keep mentioning this. This well, Jesus, I just yeah. I mean, we get some more clues to who uh, who John Gold is this time. But but they keep insinuating that he's maybe another person, maybe more he's maybe more of, a, of an idea, like Batman. <laughs> maybe it's Batman. <laughs> I think it's Batman, but. Uh, I mean, uh, this uh, this sticks into a category I have for later, but I might as well do it now because mm-hmm. I like to do some fractal spotting, and from this we get some clues about uh, who John Gold is. Uh-huh. Um, because Dagny goes to a, a dingy little diner uh, where she hears from some of the lowly people, and one of them is... Listen to this description. A small, shriveled tramp who wore a cap pulled low over his eyes. Oh. Booba? Is that you? That, w- I did not catch that. That's a good catch. A cap pulled down over his eyes. <laughs> That's an exact description of Booba. Actually, yes. But this uh, Booba shows up in this diner to tell Dagny about Jen Gold. Mm. Quote, the greatest explorer that ever lived. The man who found the fountain of youth. He spent years looking for it. He crossed oceans, he crossed deserts, and he went down into forgotten mines, miles under the earth. A fraggle rock, basically. (laughs) But he found it on the top of a mountain. It took him ten years to climb that mountain. It broke every bone in his body. It tore the skin off his hands. It made him lose his home, his name, his love. But he climbed it. He found the fountain of youth, which he wanted to bring down to men. Only he never came back, because he found that it couldn't be brought down. Mm -hmm. So this time, John Gold found the fountain of youth. Last time, it was Atlantis. What mythical thing will he have found next? The (laughs) G-spot? Maybe maybe what he will find is he will actually find an interesting character in this entire book. That's the mythical creature he'll find. No. Like a well-rounded, fleshed-out character. uh, I mean, this is a... This is a fantastical novel, but not that fantastical. But but uh, as I was saying before, I'm I'm just about ready to see some actual development. Like uh, apart from this, like soap opery, oh this happened, this piece of legislation passes, blah 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 blah, capitalist babble. I'm yeah. Well, <laughs> if you're waiting for this book to become something else than blah blah blah, capitalist babble, <laughs> I think you're you're in for a long disappointment. <laughs> It's a it's a thousand page disappointment, but you know, <laughs> yeah. At least we have Fraggle to <laughs> sweeten the deal with. So do you wanna do you wanna do a short recap of this episode? Yeah, I mean, I have plenty more to say about uh, Atlas Shrugged, but I guess should we just get some of the stuff out of the way now? Yeah, sure. Because I have two more pieces of Fraggle spotting now. We are mm-hmm. around that. Um, because. Dagny looks at a canyon that she's building a railway bridge over and she wondered why she found herself thinking suddenly that cave dwellers had lived naked on the bottom of that canyon for ages. And I just wondered, is she talking about fraggles? It, it does, like the book talks a surprisingly amount of caves. Yeah, yeah, maybe she is after all three uh, fraggles in a trench coat. Um, but also Hank uh, points at the old railway bridge and says, 
is ready for the scrap heap. And I like to think he means mm. Madam Trash Heap. The Trash Heap, yes, 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 yes. The good old beloved Trash Heap. But I think for a, for a, for a chapter that is this long, mm. surprisingly, like few things happen. Like in the, in the grand scheme of things, of course, there's this like small time drama. Yeah. But it doesn't really develop. It develops like it goes over quite some time, it seems. It stretches over. It's just like a montage chapter. Exactly. We do, we do have that entire tangent about the State Science Institute. She just goes off and, on a side quest, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To visit the... <laughs> to, to discuss science with uh, another person who doesn't really understand it. But it's just her discussing pseudoscience that she loves. Yeah. I mean, in my notes, I wrote this uh, during this part of the book. Am I going mad? Uh-huh. Is this book gaslighting me? <laughs> it's a believing what is science and what is not? Yeah, I mean, because my, my thinking is most of the time Rand is not even trying to make the supposedly evil view sound at all unreasonable. But to keep on reading and follow this plot, you have to accept these ludicrous arguments. And so this book will either, either brainwash you into believing this or make you violently toss the book into a garbage fire. But also at this point, like some of her arguments outside of the whole science thing, like she builds up strawman so big that you can see it from <laughs> like miles away. It is extreme sometimes. Yeah. Like the whole, okay, so to make her characters that she loves win an argument, they'll just go into an argument with someone who's like clearly socialist and then they'll do then they'll say the most insane things where you're like, no one, no one has that line of thought. No one would like process something in that way to then have that reach those conclusions. It's just Yeah. The antagonists, all they're saying is either completely reasonable or it's just way out and uh, just ludicrously evil and and makes no sense. But but the way she matches because I, I begin to like notice a pattern in the way she does it. Mm. So what she'll do, they, they'll start out sounding extremely reasonable, coming from a sincere place. For example, with that whole dog eat dog thing, mm. they're coming from a sincere place of wanting to actually do the betterment for the most people possible. But with that setup, she then deflates that by some ludicrous argument all of a sudden out of left field yeah. and it seems like she has to do this in order to actually win the argument because she she knows in some way or maybe she, she doesn't but if they actually had followed through with their original line of thought like she would she would have no way of actually like counter having this counter argument be sound then she would just make her character sound absolutely mental because what like some of the things Dagny does in this episode where she just goes on wasting millions and millions of dollars, potentially bringing workers' lives in danger, <laughs> building a bridge that could collapse. And we're supposed to love her for it because maybe this medal is the most extraordinary thing ever, right? Mm-hmm. But she keeps going back to this medal is really extraordinary because I believe in it. Like she has no sound logic behind it. She's just like, you're clearly in love with Hank Reardon. And therefore you believe that the metal is sound. Like it's based only on like 
anecdotal, your anecdotal love for this character. It is insane uh, to use this metal. Like she goes beyond all logic. It doesn't. Ah, I can't even begin to process how dumb this is. So many people are gonna die because of Dagnus. And I kind of hope. I kind of hope the book. And of course, it doesn't. But but I kind of I kind of hope like halfway through it will take this turn and it will just show that this metal is like clearly dangerous. And she'll just fall apart and show herself for the absolutely mental, stupid idiot she is. Because yeah, she is the villain. She has been the villain all along. She's like a supervillain. Her and fucking Hank also like flips the shit in the end of the chapter. Like such a strange book. And yes. on this note, uh, I just want to to uh, to highlight that both of these two heroes mm-hmm. actively threaten. I mean, they actively. Uh, make murder threats in this chapter. Oh yeah, fuck! I totally forgot how she was like because her uncle was it Ned Ned Taggart, right? Yeah. So so listen to this tasty uh, bit of murder. Oh, fucking hell, I forgot that. People say that our ancestor Ned Taggart killed a politician who tried to refuse him a permission he should never have had to ask. I don't know whether Nat Taggart did it or not, but I'll tell you this: I know how he felt if he did. If he didn't, I might do the job for him to complete the family legend. I mean it, Jim. Like, all she's missing at this point is just an evil laugh and a fucking white cat. Yeah, this is mustache twirling. Fucking, fucking hell. How am I supposed to believe this character? Is this is this book a satire? Yeah, I, I, I wish it were. Just uh, to get the other part of the coin, of course. Hank yes. Reardon is also a murderous uh, homicidal maniac. The State Science Institute is a government organization, Mr. Reardon. There are certain bills pending in the legislature which may be passed at any moment. Businessmen are peculiarly vulnerable these days. I'm sure you understand me. Reardon rose to his feet. He was smiling. He looked as if all tension had left him. No, Mr. Potter, he said. I don't understand. If I did, I'd have to kill you. Oh, yeah, fuck it. What? what? It comes out of absolutely. How would you have to kill him if you understand? It doesn't even make any logical sense. No. It's just a, just a murder threat, as you, <laughs> as you have your heroes do. Out of fucking nowhere. What is up with this this out of oh, whack? It's, it's, it's what all heroes do. Don't you remember that part of uh, part of Star Wars where where Luke Skywalker just murders Ewoks? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah of course. It's, it's it's what they all do. It's fair. I do it for the money. <laughs> if I understood, I'd have to kill you. Okay, so, so because if, if this entire book was about like anti-heroes, I get it. Mm. Like I, I, would, I would totally get it. Like two anti-heroes going against the stream, thinking they're doing the good thing, but actually like dismantling society in the, in the meanwhile. That could have been an interesting plot. Yeah, it's like a Breaking Bad for, uh, for railroads. Yes, for something incredibly boring. <laughs> They they managed to like uh, do the fucking what's the uh, the uh, Phantom uh, the first Star Wars movie yeah the Phantom Menacing they managed to actually <laughs> choose a more boring plot than intergalactic trade routes yeah 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 fuck yeah. oh we are in a vast galaxy of space uh, pirates and uh, and laser guns and uh, Death Stars how about we discuss taxation <laughs> that's basically uh, I think. Uh, Maybe the Phantom Menaces and Ayn Rand homage. Yes. 
Oh, that would that would make so much sense. This is basically the yeah the phantom menace of yeah. literary classics. George Lucas's dialogue kind of sounds like Ayn Rand dialogue, mm-hmm. so it fits. <sighs> this this fucking this fucking book is gonna kill me. I'm just gonna outright say it. I'm just uh, I'm just gonna leave this little thing here. Mm-hmm. Hank Redden can pass his secretary to a piece of office equipment. <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's a blink and miss, but it's, it says a lot about the guy. <laughs> it's a compliment. It's a compliment. Is this in the entire scene where she cries? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's right before that. And he is, is, so, uh, is so happy that she cries. <laughs> He's clearly abusing people around him. <laughs> Dagny included, by the way. Which must be why she, she likes him. Because she has a history of... Uh, of liking abusive men. Yes. Maybe this is uh this is Iron Rand's way of like telling the world in a not so subtle way that she like she's been abused by some men and it's a cry for help. This is her hashtag me too statement. It's a fucking long one. Except she's uh, clearly on the other side of the issue. She <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she would have to like write a hashtag me too statement, the protagonist would be Kevin Spacey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She <laughs> That's her her ideal hero, <laughs> yeah. Kevin Spacey and Louis C.K. It's uh, it's Frank Underwood from House of Cards. That's her ideal person. No, no, I mean the the, the guy in real life is is, is as bad. So I, I think it could just be Kevin Spacey as Kevin Spacey and Atlas Shrugged. As far as far as I can see from from Twitter, the two are like slowly fusioning. Have you seen? Yeah, yeah. That that guy is just he's mental now. He's ready for a Rand movie. Fuck yes! That might, uh, speaking of, we're we're slowly getting there. Where like yeah, we have yeah, three yeah. chapters le- left, right? Are you excited? I am very excited to get to to actually watch a movie. Yeah, they are extraordinary. I believe you. Apropos uh, moving pictures, yes, we should get on to uh, to some fraggle. Fraggle, yes. Take it away. Episode seven mm-hmm. is called "I Want to Be You." And uh, my, uh, I got a summary in one quote that says, "Even the trash heap wants to be like Mookie from Red." And this this episode is just about how we just have to love Mookie. Yeah, we, and we were already there. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, she is amazing. She is uh, truly the best among Fraggle folk. Preach. Uh, so basically, Mookie is good at everything, and everybody loves him. Red feels overlooked and decides to become. Exactly like Mookie, so people will be interested in her. She then saves her friends by pretending to be a bush and finds out that she's all right as she is? Question mark. <laughs> I, think, uh, I think they forgot that they were writing an episode by the end and just... Uh, <laughs> they forgot to wrap up the plot, really. And just oh, yeah, wait a minute. We need a moral and a, like, end. Yeah. I, I think they were... They were they were phoning it in this week. Oh yeah, it's all over the place. Narrative yeah. Okay, so a bit more detail. Mookie is a poet. In addition to being good at everything else, she's like a Renaissance fraggle: drawing, writing, social activism, gawk fighting, radish connoisseur, mm-hmm. painting with arms and tails, and singing uh, songs with the uh, eloquent lyrics "la la la." Yes, at the same time. Oh, yeah, multitasking. And uh, Red is feeling uh, low. (laughs) Ironically, Red is feeling blue. (laughs) 
Um, so she sings a, a song with the lyrics like, how I wish I could change myself, change to someone new, which is not very Randian. Oh, no, no, no. no, um, no. From the character that used to be the most Randian. So I don't know what went wrong there. It's a bit, of a, a bit of a disappointment this time around. But we do get a glimpse of a very cool fraggle that's just hanging out in the corner with a flute, just waiting for someone to start singing about her. The deepest hidden desires. Oh yeah, fuck yeah! That fraggle that just comes out of nowhere. We're like, why haven't we seen more to this character? He is nice. He's just like a, I don't know. He's just background flute guy, man. Like, and he's good at it. We get a fantasy sequence from Red where Mookie is imagined as some sort of Greek god in the clouds. Oh yeah, and of course the flute fraggle is also in the in the heavens there. So uh, Red. Goes to uh, see the trash heap and tells her about Mookie. So we get some trash heap. Mm-hmm. Yes. But we don't get any advice because Red goes away before she can get any advice. But she makes up her own trashy advice, uh-huh. which is to become uh, Mookie by imitating her. So she changes her hair, changes her voice, changes her behavior. And it's not working. She's bumbling around and snapping at people. And uh, we get a little... Uh, subplot here where Booba sees that and thinks, oh no, she's sick. She has a weird voice and weird hair. And then he becomes convinced that he's sick and then he drags Wembley into it just to keep those characters busy. So that poor Fraggle is basically this episode's anti-vaxxer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to keep it political. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh yeah, to keep this podcast political. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were doing so well. <laughs> so apolitical. <laughs> no one could tell our position on anything. <laughs> Damn it, we're losing the, the right-leaning listeners. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're losing them now. <sighs> Fuck. We need to. You need to say something. We're gonna lose our sponsorship with the Rand Institute. Fucking hell. Okay. Um, Gobo and Mookie uh, realize what Red is trying to do, and they uh, go to the trash heap to see if that's because of a trash heap advice that Red is acting up. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are captured by the Gorkson. And uh, Red is in the garden to pick a radish, and she was hiding from the Gork, and then she, uh, she wants to help her friends that are caught. And how does she do this? By pretending to be a talking bush. Like you do. Yeah, like, like you would normally do that, right? As the Gork kid says, I did not know bushes could talk. And here we get some uh, something I uh, suspect maybe uh, a weird piece of political satire. How so? Because we get um, uh, the Gork saying things like, yes, sir, Mr. Bush. Oh. And I would like to note... At this point in time, George H.W. Bush was vice president, so this may be uh, a reference. Mm, I th- it wouldn't be it wouldn't be above uh, this series to get weirdly political. No, I mean the quote. Now that you mention it, Bush, it is very dark. <laughs> I thought that may be a comment on Reaganomics, uh, <laughs> trickle down economics or something. But this this uh, episode also introduces the the fraggle trick, right, of holding uh, the eyes of something. I don't know what to call that. Was it a joke? Because I, I didn't yeah. get it. No. So they tell someone to uh, to put put their hands over their eyes. Mm-hmm. And then they ask, dark, isn't it? 
and somehow that's a trick or a practical joke or something. Um, I think there is meant to be a punchline in there because they keep reiterating the joke. Yeah. But there, it's just missing the punchline. This is another clue that they forgot to finish the draft and just shut it because this is like a placeholder line until you think of a joke. Either that or maybe like there was a joke in the beginning with a setup and a punchline, but they kind of wrote that out. So now they only have like the fragments yeah. of the joke left. Maybe it was uh, censored. Oh, it was because it was political. Yeah. The system got to them. Reagan uh, showed up and cut it out. Yes. Before he went senile and ate jelly beans. <laughs> Just to remain unpolitical and unbiased. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is a completely unbiased take on the yeah. classic libertarian novel. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so the wrap up here. The Bush thing works and the fraggles escape and Red is back to normal. And according to Mookie, Red is an expert Bush impersonator. So uh, I think this is a setup that Red is becoming a Saturday Night Live cast member in the next season. Mm. As uh, as uh, a Bush impersonator. Uh, and Gobo hugs Red and agrees that she makes a crummy murky, but notes that she makes a great Bush. And Red has never looked happier. Mm-hmm. And and this uh, at this point, I would just like to know that we're, we're still doing a, like a romance thing between Red and Gobo, it seems. Yes. They're a little, uh, they're a little uh, flirty, will they, won't they, going on there. As Gobo says, we'll do it later, Red. I promise. But wasn't there also a weird flirty thing going on in the background with, was that Mookie and... Well, well Gobo is also flirting with Mookie. He's, uh, oh yeah, it's when she's doing the poetry. Yeah, I mean, suddenly we have a love triangle going on here. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. know why. Where there's actually, and this probably comes in later with the quotes, but there's a wonderful quote in there, like uh, when she's doing the poetry. Yeah. yeah, and her poetry is also delightful. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so that's the main plot. Mm-hmm. Side plots, uh, Duck, of course, is up to his weird off-putting shit. <laughs> At least if he doesn't <laughs> neglect to feed Sprocket this time around, so I guess that's progress. <laughs> But he 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 gets an invitation to a costume party mm-hmm. on the day of the party, which is just bad planning from the organizers. And <laughs> yes. uh, he tasks Sprocket with uh, picking out a costume. Let's be honest; it's wonderful planning. They don't want Doc to attend. This no, they, I guess it's on purpose. Just oh, send him it. Yes. Two hours before. But also from from hearing what they used, like they've been to this party a couple of times before him and his dog, and mm. they used to dress up as a pair, where he used to dress up as a horse. Yeah, they dressed up as a horse and cowboy with Duck crawling around as a horse, with Sprocket as a cowboy on his back, with boots with spurs on them, kicking Duck in the ribs. Yeah, no shit he isn't invited to parties anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and of course so uh so the runner is that Sprite can't decide on the costume mm-hmm. and the wrap-up is deeply disturbing because okay Sprocket is dressed up as duck fine yes but duck is dressed up as the dog Sprocket, and it is terrifying <laughs> it is i mean most horror movies don't have visuals like that Yes. Um, yeah, and of course we have uh, Uncle Matt 
doing his weird shit. As always. This time he's visiting a farm. He uh, interacts with a pig and uh, and they get the puppet dirty. I'm really impressed at how uh, how willing they are to just subject these puppets to anything. They're putting them in water and mud, throwing them around. They must be able to wash them. Yeah. They must have a dry cleaning for puppets somewhere. Either that or just a sweatshop out back just sewing new puppets all the time. <laughs> it's also a possibility. <laughs> the Jim Henson sweatshop. Yeah. <laughs> like, look at all the fucking, like, the whole, like, going back to the flute player Muppet. <laughs> it's just like, so you make this Muppet just for this one scene? Just for a weird gag, yeah. Probably won't see him again. <laughs> what do you do with that yeah. Muppet afterwards? Because it must take a lot of time making these fucking puppets. I can only imagine so. Yeah, uh, Matt gets uh, gets into the mud, he interacts with the pig, and then disguises himself as a pig to uh, better communicate with the pig. As you do. And then he's not allowed to leave because the, the farmer thinks he's a pig. So uh, I don't know if he's gonna escape or the next episode will be about matt as uh, bacon mm, yeah maybe that's just the rest of the the series it's just him living on a farm somewhere until he's slaughtered and uh, no no they'll, they'll just excuse it with quote-unquote him living on a farm somewhere <laughs> yeah he's sent off to a farm yeah as he says it's always difficult being someone you're not particularly in the name of science Mm-hmm. Which is a theme statement because the entire episode is about a, a theme of costumes and pretending to be someone you're not. Yes. And uh, I don't know what the lessons is. I, I've, I've tried to map it out. Mm-hmm. So these lessons about pretending to be someone else. For Sprocket and Doc, it's the solution. Yes. For Uncle Matt, he is caught in his disguise and is unable to escape it. Uh-huh. For Red... Trying to be someone else doesn't work and almost get your friends and yourself killed. Mm-hmm. However, it's also the solution for her. But then it's pretending for others, not for herself. So I think the morale of the story is that it's fine to pretend that you're someone else as long as you don't buy your own bullshit. I think really stretching it. Really stretching it here, trying to find anything that makes What a sense. wonderful morale for a kid's um, show. Yeah. But I don't think you're wrong. I think it, <laughs> it's basically it. It's the best I can do. It's a very gray episode, I guess. Yeah, we, yeah I, I don't know. But we do have that little, uh, little crossover with the science stuff because... Mm-hmm. Um, Atlas Schracht is, of course, also going uh, deep into science this time. As Dagny talks to Dr. Robert Statler whom I like to imagine him, him as a duck from Fraggle Rock. Just makes it more fun. Yeah, like that mad scientist kind of vibe. Yeah. Definitely get that from both of them. Yeah. So. Maybe he's also making a toaster while speaking to Dagny. There's a good chance that's happening. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine anything else. That fucking toaster. Did you notice that fucking toaster he was making? No, not really. Though Doc was making an upstanding toaster. So it was something where you slot the bread in almost like a cassette recorder. It's <laughs> making like an upstanding toaster. And it's just it's it's in one scene. And it's so fucking random. Oh, he's, I love his gadgets. He's a genius. I mean, uh, until proven otherwise, his name is Dr. Robert Statler in my book. Aha, uh-huh. yes, yes, yes. There's there's a crossover. 
Mm-hmm. Do we have any more obvious crossovers, or should we go into the part everyone has been waiting for? <laughs> I guess we should move on. It's we're just dragging along here. Yeah. I mean, uh, I I may be a bit not as sharp as I could be because I'm just in the middle of moving apartments so everything is a mess around me and i guess that sort of affects my head mm. but i think this this goes perfect for the theme of the episode i'm also not very sharp but at the same time i'm standing in the middle of a sound studio this time around so maybe oh. i'm very sharp in your ears dear listener fancy you oh yes 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 um and it fits with the theme because both the chapter and the episode are also just a mess. So yes. <laughs> this episode should almost just be called the mess. Yes. We did this on purpose. Yeah, We're yeah, yeah. method acting our way into the book. Oh yeah. Um, I am I'm also slowly in my backyard building a metal structure 250 meters tall. Out of moist metal. Yeah, and, I, I, and I've threatened to murder several people today. So. Oh, yeah, same. That's basically my everyday job. Meth- method acting. I'm going a uh, Javelito in Suicide Squad here. I have not watched that movie, and I am never going to do that. <sighs> no, no one should watch that movie. Least controversial statement <laughs> ever. Okay, okay. Since this- we are burning bridges to all sorts of demographics, <laughs> Suicide Squad is the best movie ever made. It makes sense. Yeah, that that's it. I can I can stand this a thousand page book of nonsense, but this this is taking it too far. <laughs> podcast over. Yes, podcast over. This is it. It's just going to be white noise from here on out from my side of things. Yeah, and I'll continue talking to myself. Yes. <laughs> Maybe you're already doing that. <gasps> conspiracy at this point you could just uh, i think you have enough samples of my voice to just do a a voice Mm. box of me yeah yeah uh (laughs) and i guess we are repetitive enough that that i could just (laughs) remix what you've said so far (laughs) no one would really notice (sighs) is it you have a button that says moist metal that you press sometimes okay should we (laughs) should we get into some 50 shades of gold Let's get into some Fitty Shades. You have uh, you had a proposal that we do like two excerpts mm. this time around? Yeah, and really there is one that would be very obvious to do, actually too obvious. Mm-hmm. So we'll just, um, we'll just address that this is a part of the chapter and it's weird and it's uh, uncomfortable and we'll probably discuss it in the wokeness section, but yes. it's just a long... More than a page of just Hank Reardon's weird, horny thoughts looking at Dagny. Oh, yeah, that's fucking uncomfortable to listen to. I can assure you of that. I, I bet I, when I was reading that, I thought, oh, I'm glad I'm not sitting alone in a car to, in the morning just having this whispered into my ear. I was actually, this was fucking terrible. I was sitting in a car park eating a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and a lady walked by while this was read to me out loud in my car. And I, I was just hoping no one could listen outside of the car because I'm sounding like the deepest pervert. <laughs> <laughs> it was very weird getting eye contact with her. <laughs> Wonderful sandwich, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you have this book, do yourself a favor and uh, read page 193. Or do yourself a favor and don't. Yes. <laughs> Up to you. So maybe if you have this book, just read that page. Uh, burn it then afterwards. Yeah, yeah, toss it into a garbage fire. Yes. 
Um, yeah, so we have two uh, shorter segments this time around. I guess we'll just take one each. Uh, yes, will you uh, begin with the... I'll take the first one. Very fittingly, we'll take the beginning of chapter seven and the end. Mm-hmm. So we're just cutting out like uh, 48 pages here. Yeah. To give you the meat, so to speak. Yeah, like we should have done to begin with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's too late to, uh, to be punchy and focused now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, let's do it. The rails rose through the rocks to the oil derricks, and the oil derricks rose to the sky. Dagny stood on the bridge, looking up at the crest of the hill where the sun hit a spot of metal on the top of the highest rigging. It looked like a white torch lighted over the snow on the riches of white oil. By spring, she thought, the track would meet the line growing toward it from Cheyenne. She let her eyes follow the green-blue rails that started from the derricks, came down, went across the bridge and passed to her. She turned her head to follow them through the miles of clear air as they went on in great curves hung on the sides of the mountains far to the end of the new track where a locomotive crane like an arm of naked bones and nerves moved tensely against the sky a tractor went past her loaded with green blue bolts the sound of drills came as a steady shudder from far below where men swung on metal cables cutting the straight stone drop of the canyon wall to reinforce the abutments of the bridge. Down the track, she could see men working, their arms stiff with the tension of their muscles as they gripped the handles of the tampers. Muscles, Miss Taggart, Ben Neely, the contractor, had said to her, Muscles, that's all it takes to build anything in the world. No contractor equal to McNamara seems to exist anywhere. She had taken the best she could find. No engineer on the Taggart staff could be trusted to supervise the job. All of them were skeptical about the new metal. Frankly, Miss Taggart, her chief engineer had said, Since it is an experiment that nobody has ever attempted before, I do not think it is fair that it should be my responsibility. It's mine, she had answered. He was a man in his forties who had still preserved the breezy manner of the college from which he had graduated. Once, Tiger Transcontinental had had a chief engineer, a silent, grey-haired, self-educated man who could not be matched on any railroad. He had resigned five years ago. She glanced down across the bridge. She was standing on a slender beam of steel above a gorge that had cracked the mountains to a depth of 1,500 feet. Far at the bottom, she could distinguish the dim outlines of a dry riverbed of piled boulders, of trees contorted by centuries. 
She wondered where the boulders, tree trunks and muscles could ever bridge that canyon. She wondered why she found herself thinking suddenly that cave dwellers had lived naked on the bottom of that canyon for ages, singing, Danger cares away. Where is for another day? Let the music play. Wonderful. And that is uh, the industry pawn for this time around. So, um, so I'll go to the very end of the chapter here. Yes. Where our dear old Hank Reardon has a little tete-a-tete mm. with himself. Some me time. He has a little me time. And good for him. The sign at the end of the road said, Reardon awe. It hung over black tires of metal, and over years and nights, over it, clock ticking drops of his blood away. The blood he had given gladly, excludingly in payment for a distant day and a sign over a road, paid for with his effort, his strength, his mind, his hope. Destroyed at the whim of some men who sat and voted. Who knows by what minds? Who knows whose will had placed them in power? What motive moved them? What was their knowledge? Which one of them, unaided, could bring a chunk of ore cut out of the earth? Destroyed at the whim of men who had never seen those tires of metal destroyed because they so decided by what right he shook his head there are things one must not contemplate he thought there is an obscenity of evil which contaminates the observer there's a limit to what it is proper for a man to see he must not think of this or look within it or try to learn the nature of its roots. Feeling quiet and empty, he told himself that he would be all right tomorrow. He would forgive himself for the weakness of the night. It was like the tears one is permitted at a funeral and then one learns how to live with, with an open wound or a crippled factory. He got up and walked to the window. The mills seemed deserted, and still he saw feeble snatches of red above the black funnels, long coils of steam, webbed diagonals of cranes and bridges. He felt a desolate loneliness of a kind he had never known before. He thought that Gwen Ives and Mr. Ward could look to him for hope, for relief, for renewal of courage? To whom could he look for it? He too needed it for once. He wished he had a friend who could be permitted to see him suffer without pretense of protection, on whom he could lean on for a moment just to say, I'm very tired, and find a moment's rest. Of all the men he knew, Was there one he wished he had beside him for now? He heard the answer in his mind, immediate and shocking. Franco 
Deconia. His chuckle of anger brought him back. The absurdity of the longing jointed him into calm. That's what you get, he thought, when you indulge yourself in weakness. He stood at the window, trying not to think, but he kept hearing words in his mind. Reardon, oh, Reardon coal, Reardon steel, Reardon metal. What was the use? Why had he done it? Why should he ever want to do anything again? His first day on the ledges of the ore mines. The day when he stood in the wind looking down at the ruins of a steel plant. The day when he stood there in the office in this window and thought that the bridge could be made to carry incredible loads on just a few bars of metal if one combined the thrust with an arch if one built diagonal bracing with the top members curved to he stopped and stood still he had not thought of combining a truss with an arch that day in the next moment he was at his desk bending over it with one knee on the seat of the chair with no time to think of sitting down he was drawing lines curves triangles columns of calculations indiscriminately on the blueprints on the desk blotter on somebody's letters and an hour later he was calling for a long distance line he was waiting for a phone to ring by a bed in a railway car on a siding he was saying dagny that bridge of ours throw it in the ashran all the drawings i've sent you because what what oh oh that to hell with that never mind the looters and their laws forget it dagny what do we care listen you know the contraption you called the reardon thrust that you admired so much it's not worth a damn i figured out a thrust that will beat anything ever built your bridge will carry four trains at once stand 300 years and cost you less than your cheapest culvert i sent you to drawings in two days but i wanted to tell you about it right now you see it's a matter of combining a thrust with an arch if we take the diagonal bracing and what i can't hear you have you caught a cold What are you thanking me for as yet? Wait till I explain it to you. Oh yeah. That is saucy. It's nice uh, for this segment to be in a soundproof room, I guess. You're able to yell as loud as you want. No one can hear you scream. <laughs> let's take it down a notch. Let's go into the woke segment. Let's let's reiterate on what we actually just uh, just just listen to. So, uh, just to kick this off, Um, Hank and Dagny are of course still in their in their problematic dance of flirtation. Yeah, let's let's call it that. So um, here's a little quote from early on in the chapter. He laughed. Don't try it. What to win any battle when I set the terms? She did not answer. She was struck by what the words had made her feel. It was not an emotion, but a physical sensation of pleasure, which she could not name or understand. Yeah. And of course, 
Dagny also has a problematic relationship with Frisco. Yeah, why not? Dagny says this to him. Wouldn't it amuse you to break me? Wouldn't it give you pleasure? Don't you want to hear me acknowledge that I am beaten by you? Don't you want to see me crawling before you? Tell me what form of it you'd like, and I'll submit. Ugh. Ugh. And this is what gets through to him. He has been uh, stone-faced up until this point, but then he breaks. And Oh, oh, Dagny. Oh, Dagny. Submit. Finally, finally submit to me. Because when we started reading this book, and especially reading it out aloud in these segments, mm. I would have never thought it would actually just out, outdo itself. <sighs> No. I thought no, no. We have to, we have to put something in here, in order to just make it a bit dirty. We have to go off like weird references to beams and metal. But no, 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 no. This book just goes like way into actual Fifty Shades of Grey territory. Oh yeah, yeah. It's charging straight on ahead. It's. I mean, we had to, like, like, like I said earlier, we had to not read a very uh, saucy Fifty Shades of Grey section because it would would be too obvious and too on the nose. Exactly. We're actually just explicitly skipping stuff now because it's too too much. Yeah. It's weird. This book is fucking this book is fucking weird, man. And, and at this point we can't really tell whether yeah. Fifty Shades of Grey is actually like uh, a fan project of Atlas Rugged. Wouldn't surprise me. More problematic stuff. Everybody's calling Dagny a child. Mm-hmm. She's in her goddamn thirties. That's not a child. This is what Doc says about her. You are an unusual, brilliant child who has not seen enough of life to grasp the full measure of human stupidity. To be honest, though, she is acting exactly like a child. She's like, I want that cake. And then she just goes for it. Right, but everybody is. (laughs) So to be honest, (laughs) she kind of deserves it. Yeah, maybe it's it's best to picture her as... As a, as a child, most of the time, at least. She's just a, she's just a six-year-old toddler just screaming. <laughs> I want that metal. That's my metal. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, Hank thinks he's a, she's a child, so... Yeah, yeah that, that makes it perhaps a bit more problematic. Here's the quote. The skin of her hand looked transparent in the light on the edge of his desk, a young girl's hand with long, thin fingers, relaxed for a moment, defenseless. But let, let's be honest, like, Dagny has, like, she's beyond daddy issues. It's granddaddy issues, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, not tagged. <laughs> but when I read this, I thought, well, young girl, is, aren't they the same age, basically? Mm-hmm. But they aren't. Oh. I looked this up. Hank Reardon is 45 at the start of the tale, uh-huh. thus 11 years Dagny's senior, according to the Atlas Society. Okay. The the most trustworthy of sources in this matter. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Only bested by Conservapedia. Have you begun to like dig deep into these forums? And Because I think we need to do at some point, uh, I don't know whether to do an episode about it, but to dig, uh, dig a bit deeper into the mythical lore of the appreciation of this yeah yeah we should do that maybe between two uh two parts of the book mm-hmm. because i i down in the dirty ditches of this book i just can't uh, i can't bear anymore this is uh taking my entire bandwidth like the further we get into it 
the harder I have, like getting, wrapping my mind around that people actually consider this to be a classic book, that and the fact that people actually take their ideologies out of this book. It's, it's baffling. Jesus. It's such an odd and bad book. Just in terms of writing. If you can't like, see the logical missteps this book is making, you shouldn't be a public speaker. Just saying. <laughs> and you shouldn't be a speaker of the House in the American Congress. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> the world is going to the shitter real fast. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so th- th- do you have any more to add in the woke segment? Like, it, this chapter is terrible in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, we touched on the murder threats and mm-hmm. uh, hang it back and talk about yellow fools. And I don't know if that's racist or just a colloquialism of some kind, but it, it, it kind of felt weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if, if there were any uh, Asians uh, in particular they were referring to, or it was just a, yeah, a thing. It would not surprise me if these two people are racist too. Yeah, it's it's like the greaser thing earlier, mm-hmm, an earlier mm-hmm. chapter. I, I don't know if it's racist or they meant like a... Like Marlon Brando and the Wild Ones. Mm, there's a good chance there was a racist remark. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's go for the benefit of the doubt, just yeah. for once. So do we have, if we want to do the, the Bechdel test? Oh, yes. Do any uh, two female characters with names talk about anything other than main? In the Atlas, no. Nope. Not even close. Because we only have Dagny speaking... And uh, Fraggle Rock does pass because, well, the entire episode is about Red and Mookie, so it should pass. But does does Red and Mookie ever have a one-on-one conversation that is not about one of the guys? Um, I mean, because I don't. They have so little for an episode about those two explicitly. To be honest, I don't think so. I at don't the, think at the end, one. they talk a little, but Gobo is there. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it still counts because they talk directly to each other and it's not about Gobo. Oh, yeah, so it actually passes. Um, they talk about the bush. So if we follow the reasoning that it's George H.W. Bush, it's, it doesn't pass. <laughs> it doesn't actually. Fuck yeah, no. But it does pass because we also have Red talking to uh, the trash sheep. Mm-hmm. And unless the trash sheep is... Uh, there's a man in a... Uh, I would say the trash heap can be gender fluid, but... Yeah, uh, <laughs> so uh, it, it passes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also have... Uh, we have that song scene mm-hmm. uh, where Red and Mookie sing at each other and I guess that passes for dialogue. But of course, we can't have that nice moment of of women, <laughs> women being women and relating to each other without Gobo showing up and being flirty. Yeah. So, so for as progressive as yeah, <laughs> had this series is for its time, there's still uh, this is some problems. Yeah, it was for 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 female uh, censored episode, this was surprisingly uh, uh, non-female centered. Yeah, I would, I would. But it passes. Definitely, we'll give it that. So, uh, should we head into the awards? Like? Awards. Awards. Yeah. Oh, so many sentences. Mm-hmm. So much stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is going to take it all. Uh, so. Yes. Okay. I wrote 
a lot of stuff down from uh, from uh, Atlas Shrugged, and I can just highlight some of them later. Mm-hmm. But let's start with the most fraglian of the bunch. So, this is not the day for people who refuse to cooperate. In this age, one needs friends. <laughs> this is the guy from the State Science Institute who wants to buy the rights to rear metal. And we have Dagny. They didn't say it. They haven't really said it, yet it's there. And it isn't. That's what's monstrous about it. <laughs> I could only hear that in Boober's voice. <laughs> That's what's monstrous about it. <laughs> pain and pestilence. So morbid. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, fucking pain and pestilence. Should we get into that, like, real quickly? Uh, let's, let's save it. Yeah, yeah, let's uh, I, I keep my eye on the ball and just plow through some fraglian nonsense. Yes, 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 go for it. You can all stay home, take no risks, and make no enemies. <laughs> As Tacny says, uh, that sounds nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you can dance your cast away while you're at it. Yeah, 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 and she just makes one enemy at a time. Yeah. And then, so this is, I think this is a direct quote from Red Frackle a few episodes back that uh, Dacne is saying. Mm-hmm. There isn't any time for that if I'm to do the kind of job that has to be done. So I'm going to do it alone. <gasps> that could actually be a direct quote from the job episode. Do it, do it on your own. I can do it on my own. Wow. <laughs> you're sure? So <laughs> you're sure you haven't looked into the connections beforehand before just choosing these two arbitrary... <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that Jim Henson was a Randian, but maybe... <laughs> Sometimes this fits like magically well (laughs) so we have um another overlap Mm -hmm. where the two are sort of like mirror images because we have this from an old bum with a gaunt face of course oh yeah yeah, yeah. and this is next to an to an angular building so we have a rant bingo in this section <laughs> i think i think at the end of this podcast we could do a like bingo bingo play yeah. and then just read out like random excerpts and then do a like randy and bingo that's a fun party game and have to do shots it's a oh, fucking it's a it's a drinking game where you can both get like depressed and drunk at the same time so it's i mean you you need the shots to to remain uh, uh, non-suicidal Exactly. Let's call it the 21st century bullshit bingo. Yeah, that sounds fitting. Mm-hmm. So listen to this. Man is just a low-grade animal without intellect, without soul, without virtues or moral values. An animal with only two capacities, to eat and to reproduce. So this is an old bum talking to Dagny in a diner. Mm-hmm. And this sounds like a postcard from Uncle Traveling Matt. Yes? Because... Contrast this with how he describes the Frackles in the very first episode. Mm-hmm. Frackles are a noble race, fearless, dignified, intellectual. They represent the pinnacle of civilization and culture. The Frackle is, most assuredly, the best of all possible creatures. Wow. So it's pretty much word for word just flipped. Yes, <laughs> that's actually like the mirror <laughs> sentence. Yes. So I, I found that fascinating. That is like, really fascinating, yes. So those were my uh, my Fraglians. Wonderful sentences this time around. And who should win? 
because only one can win in this. I think of. actually I'm going to go with the with a weird choice of doing the mirror sentence because I mm -hmm. think that's it's a weird stretch, but I, I like the connection there. It has something going for it. It's so so uh, so spot on, so uh, so exact mirror. Mm -hmm. So most Randian. Yes, that was some stuff as well. We have Mookie's poem, and I figure this is kind of what it would sound like if. Rand was to write nature poetry. Mm -hmm. It goes like this. Little radish by a tree growing reddish silently. Reddish, radish brook that gurgles garden path where life unfurgles. Wow, that is a lot to take in. It's kind of a Rand's level of nonsense. So, so what a common fraggle would ask, is that an elegy to pest and pestilence? <laughs> oh, booba. That is actually just a quote. I was just I just stopped the episode when I was Is it an elegy to pest and pestilence? Yeah, also comments, oh it's so wonderfully morose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, while basically like hugging her. Like it's it's, <laughs> it's a, like weird intimate moments between the two. And it sounds like a review of Atlas Schwert. <laughs> I think that could be the episode title. <laughs> an elegy to pest and pestilence it's so wonderfully uh, oh yeah it's so wonderfully morose yes and we also have some more poetry which mm -hmm. I guess this is maybe more what it would be like if Rand actually wrote poetry uh huh this is from the heap who apparently always wanted to write poems garbage is brown compost is grey junk is foul and so are they <laughs> pointing to her little uh, buddies. And it's more on, on the level of what Ayn Rand is able to produce. My Randian sentences are very poetry-heavy this time around. It's just that kind of episode. Yes. Because this is a world where nobody wants to see a, a six-slide water trick and everybody wants to hear a poem. <laughs> <laughs> so the, th the third poem, poetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, line which sounds Randian. See the see the little simple silly dimpled pimple daughters as they flirt with dirty udders while they flit and flatten spatulas and smack a whiz and grab a satin flattered smattened hatters on a skitsy kidney stone. Uh, wow! I, I did not have a, I did not have a, a brain aneurysm or anything. Fuck. That was in the episode. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's like a deep social comment in there somewhere. Maybe hidden it's, in layers of just nonsensical uttering. So, something with silly daughters that that flirt with utters and schizzy, like a schizophrenic schizzy yeah, maybe. kitten stones. Um, yeah, but also just just the, just the way she says it, it's almost like a like a Tom Waits song. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, that's actually right. <laughs> uh, kind of, you can just hear it in like his drunken voice. In the <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't really thought of that. <laughs> Maybe most of the Frackle songs actually would fit perfectly in as Tom Waits songs. Yeah. Oh, that's a strange overlap. Maybe someone should do a, a rendition of one of those in that Tom Waits voice. We'll uh, we'll save that for an episode. <laughs> that's, a, that's the bonus bonus yeah. episode. Uh, Tom Waits live album. <laughs> um, so do we have do we have more uh, sentences? Uh, just one final one uh -huh. from Matt. 
the strangeness of this world never fails to challenge my resources. Mm. I kind of appreciate that one. Yeah, the the resources things make me yes. uh, made, made made me think of a uh, of Hank Reardon staring down a a bridge and yes. thinking about his resources. Well, oh, it is. Uh, he's thinking about a lot of resources. <laughs> oh yeah, he's uh, resourceful. And Anconian at the same time. Mm. Mm. So let's uh, let's uh, crown one of these. <sighs> I could go with the last one. Yeah, yeah. Enough of that poetry and uh, stuff. See, I like the poetry, but it's a bit on the nose. Whereas this it perfectly sums up actually both uh, episodes we watched today. Oh, both. The- yeah, very Matt heavy uh, winners this time around. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, because the other one was the the mirror image. He's just dealing out the truth bombs this time around. I mean, I mean, I guess he's he's the old bum in the diner, apparently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. Yeah. Out there getting a cup of coffee, crossing over. Yes, 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 yes. So um, we didn't really get any advice from the trash heap this time. She made a big impact, but she didn't really uh, give out the advice that moved the story along. No, no, no. She's just she's actually just rambling a bit this time around. Yeah, a bit unfocused, like the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to look to Ayn Rand for some trashy advice. Yes. And I have two uh, little pieces I've picked out here. Mm-hmm. This is also from the old bum uh, that is Matt. It's all dust, lady. All of it. Dust and blood. Don't <laughs> believe the dreams they pump you full of and you won't get hurt. I think it, it's a wonderful quote. It's a bit dark for the trash heap. They, yeah. it's, it's missing the, the, the sing of the trash heap. The, yeah, maybe it's more uh, convincing, John Gold. Yeah. Uh, so the other one is from Frisco. Francisco D'Anconio mm-hmm. is key rant and pure nonsense. Mm-hmm. Contradictions do not exist. Whenever you think that you are facing a contradiction, check your premises. You'll find that one of them is wrong. And this is from a book that is one big contradiction. <laughs> exactly. Maybe this is again the book trying to gaslight you in. Like, to, I think so. To not think about. Just it's a wonderful book if you just don't think about it or just yeah. don't really read it. It's a wonderful book. That's the um, key to becoming a libertarian. Don't think. Act. Don't think. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, that that could be a wonderful trashy advice. Because yeah. it's it's vague enough to be a trash heap advice <laughs> while at the same time being nonsensical. So Yeah, and unhelpful enough. Yes. Yeah. So Best Sentence. Oh yeah. And uh oh man, I just have I have so many just sentences written down from Atlas Shrugged. Mm-hmm. Um and some of them in in the best category and some of them are just I I just have to write down because they're so weird, like like this, she looked up at a street lamp on the corner. It was a globe of glass filled with light. Why, why are you describing anything like this? <laughs> yeah, you're describing a, a street lamp. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and uh, the outline of the man's figure seemed to dissolve into a blob among the sharp, straight planes of the furniture. <laughs> Where does she get it from, man? It must be... Is it drugs or is it capitalism? And, uh, okay, rapid fire round. Descriptions of Daphne. Yes. 
Her face was not pale, but its planes stood out with strangely naked precision as if its skin had lost its shadings of color. Okay, and yeah. tension seemed natural to her, not a sign of an anxiety, but a sign of enjoyment, the tension of her whole body under the gray suit, half visible in the darkness. And, and mm-hmm, she pulled mm-hmm. her velvet black cape tight around her and sat down at the counter. Black velvet cape? What is he? Is she a magician or something? <laughs> Maybe she is Batman. <laughs> She's John Gold. Yes, who is also Batman. Yeah, and convincing John and Paul yes. Larkin, and they're, they're all think, the same person. I think that's a wonderful sentence for Yeah, and uh, just some uh, some sexy ones. Mm-hmm. She had had the padlocked doors of the summit casting plant unlocked, and a random half-dressed crew working at the smelters before the windows had turned gray with daylight. Mm. And his voice sounded sharp and clear while he explained thrusts, pulls, loads, wind pressures. Fucking hell. (laughs) Oh, I forgot that. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, and back to uh, my actual pissed sentences because that was just the slush pile. I had to get that out there. I had to share that madness with someone yeah, fuck. I, I'm glad we didn't read that whole chapter aloud, but Jesus fucking, uh, that, that whole part of the chapter. Um, yeah, so here is, in one short sentence, the entire book. Mm-hmm. I just want to make money. Winner. From some side character, weirdly enough. Yes. But it's like the entire essence of the book crammed into six words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, I just want to make money. She could just have written that. Print that on a fucking t-shirt. <laughs> um, our great industries, the only accomplishment of our alleged civilization, built by vulgar materialists with the aims, the interests, and the moral sense of hawks. See, this is a person who can actually speak for for himself, and then you have the, I just want to make money thing. <laughs> Yeah, and who who of these two is a good guy? Exactly. <laughs> Incidentally, that guy with the last one, we're crossover. Uh-huh. That guy is the guy we uh, found out was Matt. Ooh. And he star- talks about hawks, that is, male picks. And what is he in this episode? A male pick. It's all connected. It's all connected. I have my serial kill wall at home. I have to... Yeah. Walk out of this sound studio directly and then just <laughs> connect all the dots. Oh, yes. And uh, more connected stuff because we have Doc. And remember, mm-hmm. this is Doc from... Uh, this is the same Doc in both of them. Yes. I cannot become involved in so-called practical matters. Uh-huh. And that speaks for both of them. I can... Mm-hmm. That is exactly what Doc in Fraggle Rock cannot become. He is decidedly unpractical. Practical and very unpractical at the same time, to be honest. Yeah. He's not a doctor, is he? Uh, no. I think we can safely assume he, he is not a doctor. Maybe not even a scientist. He's just a madman. Yeah. Who just, and a dog abuser. Maybe, maybe Duck is actually his name. <laughs> um, Mother, I'm running a steel plant, not a whorehouse. <laughs> 
<laughs> but where did that come from again? Like, why would your mind leap? Because as far as I remember, the sentence coming before it is something like where she suggests that she... Oh, yeah. She suggests that he should hire his brother. Yeah, this is Hank. Yes. That gets visited by his mother, who's awful. And she demands that he gives his brother, Philip, who is a charity guy, a job, even though he doesn't know anything about steel production. But can we then deduce that in the case he was running a whorehouse, it would be appropriate <laughs> to hire his brother? <laughs> See, how's that saving grace for that character? What? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, had I been running a whorehouse, my brother would have been perfect for the job. Oh, yeah. What? <laughs> uh, that is strange. Yes. Incidentally, that that mother, I mean, I can't picture anybody else than the cancer mother from the room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I have cancer. What? What the fuck? Where did that yeah. come from? So anyway, how's your sex life? yeah. <laughs> Which is basically the sentence here. And then I'll just uh, take a break to uh, to present this tourism ad for Colorado, the state. Yes, take it away. There's no limits to what's possible in this state. Do you know that they have every kind of natural resource here, waiting, untouched, and the way their factories are growing? I feel 10 years younger when I come here. Oh, yeah. Brought to you by the Tourism Board of Colorado. See, if I were the Tourism Board of Colorado, it might seem from the onset that it would be nice to be featured in, in this book. But if you actually read the book, like, don't, um, don't throw your money into this pile of shit. Like, uh, you don't want to be associated with Ayn Rand. No. And I mean, she has some delightfully nonsensical sentences like uh, paralyzed by despair at the rigidity of time which she could not stretch any further. And he fell as if it were empty space where the rays of the furnaces moved at will, as if the desk were a raft hanging in mid-air, holding two persons imprisoned in privacy. So, my nominee for best sentence here is... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can see where such a distortion of the English language would make you furious. Oh, the, just the amount of... Oh, fucking I mean, the lack... This of, is, I, I agree with the sentence. Yes. This distortion of the English language <laughs> does make me furious. Yes. <laughs> you get it, Ayn Rand. You, you understand. She must have known. She, it, does she get herself? Like, oh, it's, what, oh, she, oh, she really needs a copy editor. <laughs> to just boil it down to the six key words. I just want to make money. No, to just put this book in a boiler. That should have happened. She should have gone to her copier and she was like, mm, yeah, mm, wonderful first draft and then tossed it into the flames of a fire. But you can say it all in those six words in chapter seven. I just want to make money. I just want to make money. I'll, I'll, I'll give the everything to that sentence. Yeah. I just want to make money. Best fraggle. The first one is the booba one we had. It's so wonderfully morose, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which I think already became the title. Yes. So we have a clear contestant there. And then uh, another booba, because that uh, uh -huh. guy is quotable as all hell. My hair is killing me and my voice is disgusting. I'm too young to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking booba. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then, just to finish that off, the trash heap, looking at her two wonderful boys, boys, I've got everything in me, she says, <laughs> grinning and then disappearing. <laughs> and I think this just proves the fact that she yeah. is a drag queen. And she knows because you can see like the fucking smug grin on her face. It's just like, oh, she fucking yeah. knows. And then the little fellas look at the camera and say, no comment. Yeah. yeah <laughs> wah, not addressing wah, that. Wow. So that should be a winner. Yes, that, that should be a clear winner. Although I really like the book presenter. Yeah. But he got the title. So. Yeah. I think, again, as we said before, as we said from the very beginning, every single time the trash heap shows up, she's just a clear contender for everything, to be honest. Yeah, so of course, she's also uh, one of my nominees for Best Character. Mm-hmm. An auto nomination. Yes. And my other Fraggle nomination is that flute Fraggle, because, wow. I could go with the flute guy, because if we don't... Even, like, I think he's a better character if we don't <laughs> see him anymore. If they just made that fucking <laughs> puppet... For just this one fucking scene that makes him one of the best characters within Tasho. He makes an impression, yeah. Yes. He's kind of like that uh, whistling uh, concerto symphony orchestra guy in the first chapter of the book. Oh, wait, wait, wait just a minute. What? (laughs) Crossover? Wait a minute. Was that his fifth concerto he was actually whistling? Mr. Resolved and a winner there. Yes. And from Atlas, the best character from Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I would like to nominate Dagny this time because I, I applaud her for being an active protagonist. Mm-hmm. She's, she's doing her part to move this miserable plot along. Yes. Um, and also Ben Neely, the guy in charge of the workers building the railroad. Mm-hmm. Mostly for this description here. Ben Neely was a bulky man with a soft, sullen face. His eyes were stubborn and blank. In the bluish light of the snow, his skin had the tinge of butter. And if that doesn't make everyone like cream their pants, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Just a buttered, sulky, bulky, uh, soft man. But I thought you, you didn't want to have a butter face. <laughs> That was just, oh, this man is the most butter face. <laughs> He's a butter face. <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. nominate butter face. Also, he was also fired, so we're not seeing him again. I think. No, no. So let's, uh, let's give him the title. Yeah. And that concludes because, in the spirit of this very long chapter of this book, I think we've made a very long podcast. We've gone on for eternity. It was a long chapter, and. Uh, it deserved it. It almost killed us. So uh, on that note, should we, should we go all today? I am about ready to get out of this very cold sound studio at this oh, point. Oh, yeah. Well, guys, it's been wonderfully morose. An elegy to pain and pestilence. See you next time for more... Um, See you on the other side, man. For more uh, disgusting hair and uh, vo- voices killing me and more pooper stuff. And uh, we are fine. This podcast is produced by Monogale Media.
a small and independent Danish media collective. If you want to learn more about this podcast and our other projects, visit our website at maanegal.dk. That is monegal with two a's up front. .dk. At the moment, most of our stuff is in Danish, but we are looking to expand our selection in English in the future. So, you know, stay tuned to the madness. <laughs> Og den her fucking lyd. Jeg elsker den der. Den er så fed. Hvem fanden... Altså, er det her instrument kun lavet til, at man kan lave den lyd? 